Welcome to week two of Advent. And so, chapter two of the book of Ruth. There's four Sundays in Advent. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. There's four chapters in Ruth. It was meant to be. So we did Ruth chapter one last week. If you remember, we talked about how Naomi, all of the loss that Naomi had suffered in her life. And now they have arrived back in Bethlehem. Naomi lost her husband. She lost her sons. But she and one of her daughters-in-law have traveled back from the country of Moab, where Naomi had been living. She is originally from the town of Bethlehem, the same town that Jesus will be born into, but well over a thousand years later. We're, we're in the 12 or 1300s BC at this point. They've traveled back to Bethlehem. And so if you remember, chapter one ended with their return to Bethlehem right as the barley harvest was beginning. That's probably mid-April, somewhere in there. And I was talking to somebody from our church last week, having lunch with them, and we were talking about Ruth. And he was saying, oh, you know, Ruth is like a play. Each of these chapters, it's like another act in the play, and that's really true. So I'm about to read you act two of the play of Ruth. The curtain went down as these two women came into Bethlehem. Now let's pick it back up again and see what happens. So read along with me, Ruth chapter two. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvester, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvester, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from among the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she'd gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what was left over after she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her stepdaughter. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So curtain comes up for act two of our play. Ruth and Naomi have shelter. Uh, we're not told where. You know, we weren't told what they did with their house and their land before they left. Maybe they've just moved right back in. Maybe they were renting it to someone, but, but they have a place to live. Presumably they have the clothes on their back. The problem for them now is food. They don't have anything to eat. And so what are they going to do? And Ruth proposes what you do in Israel when you're poor and you don't have money and you don't have food. She says, let me go out and glean. Now, gleaning is from the law. It's part of the law that Moses laid down. Again, Moses is a hundred some odd years at least before this. So they've got his law. And one of the things it says is, that when you go and harvest your fields, you have to leave the rows at the edge. You can't harvest them. So imagine, you know, you've planted something and you've got rows of corn, you row and row and row and row and row. You're not allowed to harvest either of the edges of your field. You have to leave all of that for the poor. Anyone who wants can come in and they can harvest those edges. Also, as you're working, in this case, they're doing barley and then wheat, they work in teams, usually a man and a woman. The guy will have a knife, and you've got this you know, row of wheat plants or barley plants, and you've got the stalk, and then at the top you've got the grain. And the guy would grab the grain at the top or grab the top of the stalk. He'd take his knife, and he'd whack it off, and there'd be a woman behind him with a basket, and he'd put the grain in the basket, and you'd just go down, grab a bunch of them, whack them off, put it in the basket, and you just do that. If you drop one, you've got to leave it. You know that old rule, if it falls on the ground, it goes to the hound? So it's kind of like that in Israel. If it falls, you're not allowed to pick it up. You have to leave it so that anyone else can come along later and they can take that food if they're poor and they need food. And you're allowed to make one pass. After you go down that row, all the way through, if you missed something, you have to leave it. You can't, you can't go back. You can't go back and say, oh, wow, <laughs> look at that. I missed that. And once you're done, you leave it. These are what, what the Bible calls the rules of gleaning so that people who are poor, who don't have money, they can come into your fields after you've harvested and whatever is left, they can take that and then they'll have food. Now, this is the time of the judges. Is anybody doing that? Wow, we have no idea. What we do know is that Ruth is a young woman, probably mid to late 20s, and she's going out alone into someone's field to harvest their grain. If you were to flip back, I do not encourage you to do this. If you were to flip back a couple chapters in the book of Judges, you will read a story about another young woman in probably, she's probably in her early to mid 20s, and she's also from Bethlehem. She actually could be a contemporary with Ruth. The time of the Judges is several hundred years, so we don't know. But she also is from Bethlehem, and she and her husband are taking a trip, and they stop for the night around eight, nine miles north of Bethlehem in a town called Gibeah, and she ends up outside. 
after dark, and she does not survive being found by the inhabitants of that town because that's what it's like in the time of the judges. A 20-year-old girl is going to go out alone into a field of someone she doesn't know (laughs) and start taking their grain. Remember I told you last week, you know, that moment in the horror movie when you're like, no, don't split up. Wow. Um, This is one of those, if you have a Bible reading plan, and if you don't, they're on the back table, you should get one. If you've been reading through the Bible sequentially, and you just finished Judges, and now here you are in Ruth, this ought to scare you, because you just read that story about what happened to a young woman who got caught outside alone in a town just north of Bethlehem. And so Ruth goes out, and I, I love the way the author of Ruth, we have no idea who wrote this, right? Is it a guy? Is it a woman? Is it a group of people? We don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. But the way they write it, so Ruth says, let me go out, and you think, this could end so badly. This could end so, so badly. And the writer says in verse three, so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, we, tra- we translate it as it turned out, in the, in the NIV, literally, what the writer says is, by chance, she chanced to be in a field belonging to Boaz, who's from the clan of Elimelech, remember? We introduced him, actually, at the beginning of our story. And then verse 4 begins with the word, word look. Again, it's like a play. Look, Boaz just came from Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? What a coincidence. By chance, she just chanced to end up in Boaz's field, who's one of their relatives. And look, there he is. He's just arrived. Again, I told you, God won't get credit for actually doing something until the very end of the book. And yet over and over again, by chance, something will happen. Something will occur. Look, this just happened. Boaz just showed up. We were told at the very beginning that Boaz is a relative. He's a man of standing or a worthy man, or if you're reading another translation, it might say a a man of prominence. And now we're going to find out something about him. What kind of guy is this relative? Because again, it's the time of the judges. It's a time when, as the book of Judges says several times, every man did whatever he wanted. There was no authority. There was no enforcement. You could ju- the, the strong prevailed over the weak, and people did whatever they wanted. What kind of guy is Boaz? And we find out, actually, he seems like a pretty decent guy. He, he greets his workers. He's come to check on them, but he's not checking on them, like, you know, making sure they're doing it. He greets them. They greet them. He knows his workers. Like, he says to the, the foreman, he knows Ruth doesn't work for him. There's a lot of people probably working out, and this is a big field, presumably. And he knows that one girl right over there, she doesn't work for him. He knows his workers. He greets his workers. He has lunch with his workers. Like, we find that out later. It looks kind of like he brought the food, the way he's divvying it out. He's come to feed his workers as they're working. He seems like a pretty decent boss, And when he finds out who Ruth is, he goes to her. And he says to her in verse 8, my daughter, listen to me. 
don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. He tells her, not only is it okay for her to be gleaning, to be harvesting in his field, he says, look, why don't you just do that the whole harvest? Don't go anywhere else. And I imagine Boaz knows what it's like where he lives. He knows the stories about what's happened to young girls alone in places in the time of the judges. And he says to Ruth, don't go anywhere else. Just stay here. (laughs) I mean, they're going to harvest this field, and then they're going to harvest this field. They're going to harvest this field. As time goes on, as they're harvesting the barley, the wheat's going to ripen, and they're just going to move right into the wheat field. It's about two, two and a half months. It'll go from mid-April to mid to end of June. So he's like, you know what? why don't you just work in my fields all the time? Don't go anywhere else. I've told the men not to touch you. You will not be molested. You will not be harmed. Nothing will happen to you. Just just hang out and keep working here. And when you're thirsty, you're welcome. You're welcome to drink from the water that we bring out. And we do that. If I'm on a work day, we'd have coolers and things out. Like here, you come, absolutely, come and help. When they meet later, when they sit down for lunch, does Ruth even have any food? Or is she just taking some of the grain she's harvested, the raw grain, and eating that? And Boaz calls her over. He's like, no, no, come come eat with us. He's feeding his workers, and he feeds her. He treats her like she's one of his employees. He treats her like she works for him, and that he owes her everything he owes to all his own employees. Only she doesn't work for him. She works for herself. She's gleaning. Nothing she gets is going into his grain, It's it's all going home with her. And so Ruth asks the question in verse 10 that everybody's got to be asking, like, why are you doing this? I'm not one of you. I'm a foreigner. I'm not from here. You don't owe me anything. And wow, I love Boaz's response. Oh, I know exactly who you are. And I know everything that you have done. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He knows she's converted to Judaism. He knows she she has appealed to Yahweh and her allegiance is to Yahweh. And he says, may the Lord repay you. May you be rewarded by the Lord. Now think about it. Who's repaying her? She needs to eat. She needs food. Where's it coming from? It's coming from Boaz. Every stalk of grain that she takes out of his field is a stalk of grain that he does not put into his barns. Everything she gets comes from his field. And he's told her, don't go anywhere else. Take from my field all harvest. Boaz says, may the Lord repay you, and he is doing good to Ruth. Boaz is paying the price for God to be good to Ruth. It's coming out of his field. God is not making grain appear at Ruth's house. I don't think I've ever preached with feathers up on the platform before. This is kind of fun. It's not like grain is suddenly appearing at Ruth's doorstep. It's all coming out of Boaz's field. But he seems to think that's part of God being good to this woman. Boaz is disadvantaging himself 
He is giving up what he could have had. He could have had this grain. Could have had this grain in his barn. He could have sold this grain. He could have eaten this grain. He's given up this grain so that Ruth gets it instead. He is disadvantaging himself. And wow, I mean, look at what he's doing for her. After lunch, he's already told his guys don't touch her, right? I mean, that's the very first thing that happened. As soon as he realized she doesn't work for me, what's going on, he tells his workers, leave her alone. It's okay. What she's doing is fine. I'm okay with it, right? Don't mess with her. And then when they go back to glean in verse 15, he says to his workers, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Remember, you've got these edges that she's allowed to harvest from, but she's not supposed to go any further than one row. It's like, look, if she, if she gets further in, it's okay. Just let her. Don't make a big deal of it. Even pull some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them. As you're going and cutting, guys, you need to miss the basket occasionally. I want to work for this guy, right? You imagine your boss coming to you and going like, okay, look, um, I want to see at least 10% of that wheat on the ground from now on. You are way too efficient. You're moving too fast and too much of the wheat is ending up in the baskets, okay? What is everybody else going to eat if you harvest everything like this? I want to see you dropping more. I want to see more waste. I want to see more spilling, okay? I'm so impressed. Every time I read this story, I'm so impressed with how Boaz is helping Ruth and Naomi because I put myself in, the, in their place. Because in a church, we get a lot of requests for help. I get emails, I get phone calls, people just show up. Lots of folks come for help. He doesn't know Ruth, he's never met her. He's a relative of Elimelech. We don't know exactly, no one's sure how close, but it's not super close. It's not like he and Elimelech were brothers or anything. Maybe cousins, maybe more distant than that, we're not sure. But he certainly never met Ruth. I put myself in his place. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a relative of Naomi on her husband's side. I have, I'm a wealthy man. Naomi comes back. What do I do? Like, I've got some family obligation here. I need to, how do I help her? And I would think to myself, well, okay, she's got to eat. I mean, we're harvesting already. It's not like she can go plant or anything. So I'd just bring her food. I would just make sure she had a food allowance. I'd tell Ruth, look, why don't you come by the field every morning or once a week or something, and I'll, I'll give you enough grain. I would make sure that she ate. And that's pretty much it. And so I would disadvantage myself. I would lose whatever it cost to feed these two women for that season. When Ruth finishes gleaning, we're told in verse 17, she has an ephah of grain. Now this isn't, this, she's threshed it. You know, you, you grab them, you've got the stalks and the plants and all and the grains on top. She's gotten rid of all the plant stuff. All she's got left is kernels. This is just, you grind this and make flour. This is just pure barley. She's got between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. She has got between six and 10 five-pound bags of flour. How much flour do you need to live? Okay, an ephah, we, other places in scripture will tell you, an ephah is the allotment you need to feed a grown man for one month. And she made that in one day. In one day, she has made enough grain to feed her and her mother-in-law for two weeks. 
So what happens when she comes back tomorrow? Because Boaz has said, just stay here. (laughs) Don't go anywhere else. It's probably not safe. That's what Naomi says to her at the end. Yeah, it would be good for you to stay in his field. In someone else's field, you might be harmed. Tomorrow, what happens if she does that again? Boaz is, I would just give her food and feel like, okay, yep, I've disadvantaged myself. I've helped her out. What a good job. Boaz is giving her opportunity. He's not just handing her food. He's handing her the opportunity to gather all she wants. If she cleans out the edges, he says, and she starts it on the next one, let her. Don't bother her. He is giving her the opportunity to prosper. Whereas I think if it were me, I would have just made sure she didn't starve. And more than that, look what he does. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. When she sat down with the harvesters, he's giving her opportunity for community. She's a foreigner. She's not a Jew. She's not a Hebrew. She doesn't live here. She speaks with an accent. She's probably brand new to Judaism. And he is inviting her in to the community of people that work for him. Can you imagine what's going to happen as she does that day after day after day after day? As he invites her in to eat with them and be part of their lunch group over and over. Like, I'm just thinking in his situation, oh, I got to feed, feed him, I can't let him starve. He is thinking so much broader than that, it seems. And he is giving her opportunities to prosper, not just her physical needs, and they do need food, but wow, is he giving her the chance to prosper, an ephah of grain in one day. And she has social needs and emotional needs, and, and he is inviting her into all that. I'm so impressed with how he is helping her. He's not just saying, here, I'll solve that problem for you. That is my tendency. I'm a problem solver. Oh, you've got this problem and I'll solve it. Solve it. He, is, he is thinking so much further than that. I'm always impressed when I read about how Boaz is at work. And so the curtain goes down on act two of our play in verse 23. Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. So again, a two to two and a half month stretch. We know that she is just pulling food out of Boaz's field and taking it back to her house. And we'll find out in the next chapter, oh, they are prospering. Like he has given her opportunities to prosper and she has taken them. She doesn't have to. She has enough food for two weeks. I mean, I don't know what the equivalent in this day and age of binge-watching Netflix all day is, but she could have done that. She could have gone out on Monday and been like, okay, this is great. Two Mondays from now, I'll go back. I got enough food. We're fine. But we're told she stayed close to his guys. She's out there. The workers are out there every day, and she's out there every day. That's what the foreman said about her at the beginning. It's like, wow, she's been working her butt off all morning. She came here to work, and she is working. Boaz gives her opportunities to prosper. He gives her opportunities to have community. So last week, I lit a candle. This is our Advent wreath. There's four candles, one for each week, each Sunday in Advent. Last week, I lit one of these candles, and I called it the candle of loss, after Naomi's losses. And I encourage you to think in your own lives about, okay, where have I had losses? 
And I encourage you to try and think rightly, to, to, see, to see what's going on in your life well. Not to ignore the losses or pretend like they're not real because they are, but also not to miss what God was doing. Not to miss all the good things that God has done in our lives, even in the midst of losses. I called it the candle of loss. So I'm gonna light today's candle about Boaz, and I am gonna call this the candle of light. And I mean that in two different ways. One, I mean light in terms of like lights. Boaz is a light. He's a light in the darkness. The, the judges is a dark, dark time. And one of the reasons I think I so love this book is because you get to the end of Judges and you think, wow, God was wrong with Noah. He should never have promised not to wipe everything out again because this is awful. These are his people and they're so horrific. How is he putting up with this? And then you get to Ruth and you realize, oh, there are still people following God. Even in the time of the Judges, there's still men like Boaz who are, leaving, who, tell, who are leaving the edges of their field for people to glean, who are telling their workers not to bother the poor while they're doing what the law lets them do. There are still good, godly people, even in the time of the judges. And I so appreciate that Boaz is a light in a dark time. But I also mean it in the sense of the opposite of heavy, because Boaz's harvest, it's light this year. Because Ruth is hauling 30 to 50 pounds of grain out of it, maybe every day. Now again, he's probably harvesting tons, but still, he's losing 30 pounds of grain every day because he's being generous and he's being kind. It costs him to do what is right. So I want to ask you, again, I told you last week, like, try, look at your life. Look at your life well. I want to ask you this week, where do you need to disadvantage yourself this Christmas season? You know, I have this routine I use in planning my sermons of what I do on Monday and Tuesday. And, and some days, some weeks as I'm working out the sermons, like I'm not sure what the point is until about Thursday. I'll do all the studying, I'll do the outlines, I'll work my way through it. It can often be, like sometimes it's Thursday when I'm like, okay, this is what God wants me to talk about. Because that's what I'm always praying. Okay, God, what do you want me to say to us today? Wow, on this one, working through it, I knew on Monday, oh, we, we need to talk about, Boaz is, is giving up. He says, may the Lord bless you. And then he sacrifices for her to be blessed. That's, that's what I want to talk about. I told you last week, don't be like Naomi and miss all the good things that God is doing. This week I'm telling you, be like Boaz. Where do you need to disadvantage yourself for others? Where does God wanna bless someone through you? And where do you need to do it really wisely, the way he did? Because again, if it were me, I think all I'd see is that physical need, they need food, and I'd give them food. Boaz, gives a lot more than that. It costs Boaz so much more the way he helps Ruth. But wow, as we will see as the story goes on, God repays Boaz even more. Like he gets everything back and then some by the end of this story. But we're not there quite yet. This week, as we come to the end of the year, as we get into really, there's just the busyness of Christmas. 
Where do you need to be like Boaz? Where do you need to intentionally disadvantage yourself for someone else? And to do it really wisely. Not just to see the surface and say, okay, sure, I can do that. And then, now I'm done, leave me alone. Like, honestly, like I think I would have done. Where do you need to really see, oh, this is what they need. They don't just need this. They need this. They need community. They need friendship. They need whatever it is. Where do you need to give as we go into the Christmas season this year? We don't want to be like Naomi. We we don't want to just see the loss. We definitely want to see it, but we don't want to ignore all the good things. But we want to be like Boaz. We want to be people that the Lord can use to bless others. Um, I have a friend who is a very, very wealthy man. Um, and I asked my father once, you know, why, why, do you think, why do you think God blesses this guy so much? My dad said, oh, that's easy. That's because if God wants to give somebody $100,000, he says, hey, write a check to this person. And this guy goes, done. And he obeys. God tells him to do something, absolutely. He'll do, he obeys with money. Uh, Boaz seems to me to be that kind of guy. He is wealthy, he's got a lot, and when an opportunity shows up, it's like, oh, absolutely. We are, we are gonna help this family, we are gonna do this. Where do you need to be like Boaz this year? That's what I've been praying this week as I've been working on this sermon. Okay, God, I've been asking God's spirit to speak to you, that as I was preaching, as I'm talking about Boaz, that God's spirit would be nudging you. Like, oh yeah, this relationship, or this situation, or this issue. Where has God been doing that? As I've been talking, as you've been listening to the scriptures, where has God been nudging you? Oh, maybe I need to be like Boaz here. Maybe I need to intentionally disadvantage myself to help someone else, and I need to do it shrewdly. Again, he gives her opportunity. He doesn't just give it to her. He gives her the opportunity to prosper. He gives her the opportunity for community, but he doesn't do it for her. Where do you need to be wise and to disadvantage yourself? So that's what I'm gonna pray for us today. I'm gonna pray that God's spirit would be speaking to us, even in, I mean, all the busyness of Christmas, all the plans, everything that's going on. It is busy in the church. It is busy at home. Where, where do we need to be someone that God can use, that God can channel what he wants to do, that we can disadvantage ourselves so that God can advantage someone else. And again, as you'll see, wow, Boaz gets it back in spades. Scripture says anyone who, le- who gives to the poor lends to God. Not gives to him, lends, because God always repays. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this great example. I-, I am so encouraged reading this story that even in just a terribly dark time like the judges, there are still godly people there's, there's a godly man like Boaz who it seems has followed you for a long time and there's this godly woman, Ruth, who's just shown up and converted and yet here she is. Thank you. Thank you you have your people all the time everywhere. Thank you that you are always at work, that even when in the time of the judges Israel seems to have abandoned you, you did not abandon them. You are still helping this one family, the family of Elimelech, as they have come back to Bethlehem with nothing. And you are providing for them through Ruth's diligence and hard work and Boaz's generosity. Lord God, we want to be people like that. We want to be people who are generous. 
We want to be people who, who, who are so willing for you to use us to bless others. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters now in the Christmas season. Lord, are there places you want us to be light? Light in the sense of light in the darkness, but also light in the sense of that we give up some stuff, that we don't have as much as we would have had because you are going to use that to bless someone else. Lord, Scripture says that you delight to bless your people. How do you want to do that this season through us? I pray for all my brothers and sisters. I pray for everybody who's listening to me on a podcast or watching a video. Holy Spirit, that you, you would speak to us. You would nudge us. That we would know, oh, this is where God wants to use me to bless someone. This is where God wants me to disadvantage myself so that someone else is blessed. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us. And as we take communion, as we sing, as we go about our day today and our week this week, that you would be speaking to us about where you want us to be like Boaz, just as you used Boaz to bless Ruth and through that to bless Naomi and eventually to bless the whole family. How do you want us to do that? Where do you want us to be those people, Lord Jesus? We need you to tell us. We need you to give us eyes to see. We need you to give us wisdom to know how to be involved. Like Boaz seems very wise in how he does this. Jesus, speak to us. Show us. We so want to be these generous, kind people like Boaz because of you. You did this for us. Wow, you, you absolutely disadvantaged yourself for us. So we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.